Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dialogic Disciple with me, James. And Elizabeth. Elizabeth, we took the summer off. But we are back now for the fall uh, with the Dialogic Disciple podcast, hoping to drop new episodes every week. Today we're going to talk about something that has been dominating airwaves, something that people have been talking about, people have been concerned about, worried about, excited about. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence and how it relates to the Christian life. That's what we do here on this podcast. We try to bring discipleship into conversation with what's going on in the world so we can try to figure out how to be disciples of Jesus in the culture in which we live, and the culture in which we live now contains AI. AI. So, Elizabeth, what, what are some of your, I don't know, uh, what have you heard about AI? What, what are some of your opening thoughts on AI? I have been, up until this point, a little weary of, um, some of you may have heard of this, ChatGPT. Um, it is a chat module. I've learned now that it is actually called a large language model, um, and it's not, it's not really AI. It is a language a language model. You've right? been skeptical of it. In other words, you thought it was the devil, and then you spent the entire morning on it today, right? <laughs> I'm going to say I spent about 20 minutes with it. Oh, 20 I didn't minutes. know what to ask it. <laughs> I, I didn't know what to ask it. You know, it's like, and um, I listened to a Freakonomics podcast all about AI, um, kind of gave me some background information. Uh, but I, I didn't I didn't know what to do with it. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, there, you get some a lot of these um, engineers and scientists. They talk about A.I. as like a child. Right. You know, right, the, this yeah. thing that's growing and learning and they're teaching it. Or I heard one person refer to it as an alien, which that's a little bit more how I felt about okay, it. This yeah. like alien thing. And you have to learn how to talk to it. Um, so I, I opened up ChatGPT and I said hi to it. Uh, <laughs> and then I proceeded to learn how to give it a prompt in order to get what I wanted out of it. Chat GPT um, has become like my best friend. Like we hang out, you know. Oh, wow. We just kind of chill and talk about what's going on in the world. Uh, a lot of conversations about the Dallas Cowboys and and what Dallas needs to do to win a Super Bowl. Does uh, Chat GPT have an opinion on the Dallas Cowboys? Uh, pretty much the same as everyone else. They're really good during the regular season. We can't win a playoff game, stay their lives. So not really the best friend I've ever had, but uh, great conversations. Uh, I found I've I've kind of messed around with a little bit more than you have, uh, Chat GPT and. I found it to be, uh, at first I found it really creepy, but as I did more study on artificial intelligence and, and what exactly this program is, I've come to realize that it's it's not really something to be afraid of, and in fact is a really useful tool uh, in, in some, of the, some of the research and some of the things that I, I do around here at the church, but also just in everyday life. Like, it, it, it's helped me to put together... Uh, like menus and help me to put together uh, recipes and stuff like that. And, wow. and uh, I've used it to do all kinds of stuff like that. And it's really, really helpful. What I feel like it is, is um, more like an interactive Google where you can, you can have a conversation with your search engine rather than just, uh, just give me a list of like, here's some options, right? You can kind of refine your search and it helps you kind of figure out what exactly it is that you want and what you need and, and how to employ uh, how to actually do the thing that you're asking it to do. That is one fascinating thing that I was thinking about. Um, one of the scientists on this podcast was talking about how um, it, a lot of it has to do with the precision of language. And so when the thing, um, this model is learning, right, you, you have to learn how to interact with it. Yeah. And it, they had to teach it how to interact with humans. And so you kind of have this eye-opening perspective on how imprecise our language actually yeah. is right the example they gave was um saying to someone else hey we should catch up sometime and have lunch and like think about what that can mean right like right. as a human it very well might mean like literally email me <laughs> and we'll schedule a time on tuesday and we'll have lunch together or it can mean like oh yeah i just i just really want to get out of this conversation like oh, right? yeah. and so you have this very um precise uh um precise tool that's been created to you know it's very detailed it's precise it's got access to all the knowledge but it doesn't have um wisdom and it right. doesn't have context and it doesn't yeah. have all these like very human things right and so you're trying to act re interact with this very precise tool in a very right. imprecise way so well and that's one of the things that um i try to you know i had a conversation with a group of guys here at the church about ai not too long ago and um 
a lot of lot of uh, trepidation, obviously, with with what this means, uh, and and obviously, when we think about AI, uh, we think about, or at least people from my generation think about doomsday events like Terminator and Skynet and all of these big like AI taking over and oh, I and definitely and... think about that movie with uh, Shia LaBeouf. I don't remember what it's called. Eagle Eye. Yes, yeah. that's what I exactly. think of. Yeah. <laughs> so we automatically go to that, but it was something to keep in mind, especially with something like Chat GPT, is that it's not, it's not thinking, it's not reasoning, and it's not making decisions. Um, and this is one of the things that I think the, the one of the main differences between a human mind and a, a program like Chat GPT is that it has to be prompted. It can't make decisions and. In fact, ChatGPT, like you talked about, it's a it's a large language uh, model. Is that the right language? Am I using? I the right think words? so. Yeah. So what it does, though, is LLM. LLM. There you go. Uh, uh, what it does is it doesn't even know like the end of the sentence that it starts. It begins the sentence. It doesn't really know because it's just trying to predict what the next word that makes the most sense in in, in its answer. Right. So it's not even. It does it really quickly, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's not really reasoning or rash, you know, rationalizing or thinking. It's just responding to this large amount of data that it has. Right. Um, the one of the folks on this podcast was a. This um, is the Freakonomics podcast. They're doing a three-part series. I, I highly encourage anyone that's interested in this to check it out. Freakonomics Radio. Oh, I'm, I'm getting a lot of my content from those podcasts. Maybe don't listen to it. This might just be a repeat. <laughs> um, but this this woman, Anna Bernstein, is a prompt engineer. So you know, her job is the l- linguistics. To prompts. Well, it's it's about the linguistics. So she's okay. like figuring out how to get the AI. Is well, is an intermediary between user input and AI output. Um, wow, that so, sounds really complicated and technical. Right, but it's all about linguistics. So again, like how to how, how is this thing going to respond, predict, right, give right. a pattern when a human asks silly human questions, yeah. right? And it's just this thing trying to navigate through a bunch of data. Right. Um, so I had to teach it how to talk. And so there, um, there's a, a company called OpenAI, which is the company that did ChatGPT. And they're they're working on ChatGPT four, and these folks were talking about how in the beginning, um, after they just dumped all of the data in it, right? You basically right. like give it access to the internet. Um, they had to, they spent a long time trying to get this thing or getting this thing to not be ugly, violent, um, and really, yeah. So it. So ChatGPT used to be rude. Offensive or rude, right? And just like generally useless. (laughs) And so, which I thought was super interesting because I'm assuming I don't know this, but the reason that it it is that is because it's just, it's just data, right? It's just, it's taking everything off the internet and I'm assuming it's learned these sorts of things from people, right? right? And so there was um, one other guy kind of talking about the ethics behind this and he said, okay, well, you know, do you limit this thing's access to content that we feel is, you know, immoral or wrong or whatever? Right. And his his response to that was, I would prefer to teach it how to learn what is right and wrong, which sounds kind of scary. That's, right. Um, this is where it begins. Right. Ex- exactly. <laughs> but um, so something like ChatGPT actually has um, it. They have a constitution for it. Yeah. So they took basic principles from the UN human rights and some like Apple terms and conditions and they gave it a constitution and basically okay. said, like, you know, here's how to be, you know, moral, right? Here's Ye how to the be chat good. GPT. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so that it's not rude and offensive and ugly right. and violent when right. you know when, when it talks to you. You know, not like it's, so it basically is like treating it like a child. Like right. you're trying to treat your exactly. kid to, to be polite and mm-hmm. not to just say the first thing that pops in your head, maybe. Isn't that crazy? Uh, uh, yeah, definitely. I, I also heard that uh, right now ChatGPT4, which is the latest version that's out, they're still working on it, but it's out, um, which you can access for $20 a month, uh, has this brain size of a squirrel. That's uh, a fact that I that I picked up from, from our research, and um, I found that interesting as well. That's a, that's a pretty small brain. Did you know, this is a tangent, did you know that squirrels find like 90% of the nuts they bury? I don't know that's if that's a, the exact that's a number. Pretty good ratio. Don't take that to, my, to the grave, but it is—it's a very big number. Like I was shocked by—they find the majority. We'll say right, <laughs> the vast majority of the nuts they bury, they actually find. I find—I find it hard to find the books that I put on my bookshelf sometimes. Right? So my my rate is probably fifty-fifty whether or not I can find a book. 
that I know I have that's on this bookshelf somewhere. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you say that this thing has the brain size of a squirrel, and immediately you think it's probably but, an idiot, but I don't I, know. It can find a lot of information. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There's a lot of stuff buried out there. So, James, you are teaching a class right now on AI and the gospel, is what it's called? I am. Yeah, so uh, AI and the gospel, it's a class that we just started last week. It's plenty of time to jump in if anyone's interested in joining the conversation. Uh, We meet at 6.30 on Wednesday nights in the loft, uh, which is in the new youth space. Uh, And basically, we're just kind of walking through some of the implications and applications for AI and Christian discipleship. Uh, and, and how does it relate to or how is it um, useful or harmful for those of us who uh, believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I, I, I'm a firm believer that I think AI can be a powerful tool, just like this microphone is a powerful tool, or just like television or screens or anything like that have become powerful te- technological tools for us to use in the life of the church. When when uh, we get, went to the pandemic, we think about how Zoom and and doing online uh, streaming of our services was an absolute essential and, and incredible tool for us to continue to do, be a community during a very difficult time. Technology, we're using technology to to move forward. I think AI, um, and particularly like Chat Chat GPT and and things like that, can be powerful tools for us in Bible study and in our, our Christian life, finding resources, things like that. Um, but we're we're diving into some of the questions about, um, you know, how should we think about AI? How should we engage AI? And basically, what are the implications for our faith? That's a an interesting moral question that I thought about, and I think it can it goes a lot bigger than just AI. But um, so there, there, you know, there's something right, whether new technology, um, whatever it may be, uh, and. You know, you have deemed that it is maybe not necessarily aligned with your Christian values or whatever. Is it better to totally separate yourself from it, right? right. Say, nope, not going to interact with that at all. Yeah. Or is it worth learning and knowing about it? Right. Um, diving in a little bit just to understand what's out there, right? It's kind of like yeah. a how close do you get to evil you know? I don't know that. that I don't think right. it's necessarily. I don't want to go so as extreme already to label AI as evil, but. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know? In fact, I think that that is what you're hinting at there is kind of the crossroads that the church comes to uh, when it engages with the world or, or comes in contact with the world in general, uh, whatever's happening in the world. So either the church has traditionally said, uh, you know, totally withdraw, move away from, don't touch, don't be, uh, don't be infected by, don't mm-hmm. be influenced by, uh, and try to remain faithful to Jesus Christ outside of the world. Uh, you think of the Amish as being a group that does that, uh, does that pretty well. Right, monks. Uh, monks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The whole uh, monastery movement uh, is definitely part of that. Uh, and then the other spectrum or the other the other side of the spectrum, the other path that the church has traditionally taken is just to dive in, dive in and completely acclimate and accommodate and sometimes get swallowed by whatever the world is doing. Uh, generally we find ourselves somewhere in between, particularly as Methodists, generally we find ourselves right down the middle of the road. Um, there are things that, you know, that are definitely harmful that we should, we should not engage with. There are things that we, uh, are very much in danger of being swallowed by. Um, but the role of a disciple, and that's kind of what this entire podcast is about. And, and my philosophy of discipleship is, is that we need to be in dialogue with everything. Uh, we need to be engaged with uh, everything, even things that we may consider to be evil, we need to know what that's about. Um, it doesn't mean that we participate in those things, but we need to be in dialogue, I think, with as much of the world as possible, because I think that's the model that Paul sets up for us. When Paul says that I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some, his, 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 his MO seems to be to engage in dialogue. You know, he's the guy who goes to Athens and, and has the conversation with all of the people who are worshiping different gods, you know, and there's a there's that uh, shrine set up to the unknown god, and he 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 engages he engages uh, with the people of Athens. There, he doesn't say, oh, you know, oh, this is this is evil. You guys are worshiping idols. He says, well, let's talk about this. Let me let me engage and see what's going on there. So I think AI becomes one of the one of the like the newest thing that the church needs to engage in in a dialogue, so that we can 
we embody the word of God. That's, I mean, that's kind of what we're supposed to be doing. So fun fact, uh, before this podcast, I asked ChatGPT to make me a table of scripture references that had something to do with people encountering something new, okay. um, new technology, something fresh. I used kind of those uh, those words and told it it could use synonyms of it, right? And so that the goal was to um, have a list of times in scripture when people encountered something new and how they responded to it and that uh reference that you just mentioned that story in acts um chat gpt Act 17, Act 17 yeah. 16 through 34 well, i don't need chat gpt i've got dr james johnson right here <laughs> um and so it's you know paul speaks to the athenians about the unknown god and then the column where i had it put the responses it says mixed responses right some people mocked while others believed right so yeah but i think that this goes back to what you said earlier about um, these things, you know, maybe they're not inherently good or bad. They're tools. They're tools. Yeah. And they can become good or bad yeah. based on how we use them. Right. But if we can learn to see these new things as tools, um, to help our journey to, you know, it, then I think that, I think that makes a world of difference. Absolutely. You know, we believe as Christians, um, John chapter one tells us that the, that all of creation, there's nothing that is in creation that wasn't created through the word of God. Through, the, in, through Jesus Christ, through the Word of God. So there's a little bit of the Word of God in everything. Uh, now, we as human beings take that and oftentimes corrupt it and make it into something evil and dark. Uh, but there's a little bit of the Word imprinted on everything. And AI, AI provides us with a great opportunity to talk about what that looks like um, as we are also creating beings, creators, right? We're participating mm-hmm. in creation with God. We are, have been given imagination. We have been given creativity. Uh, things that AI doesn't have, at least not yet. Uh, but uh, we we are made in the image of a God who creates, and so we also create. And so uh, it gives us a great opportunity to talk about what does it look like to create something in our image. So, uh, Elizabeth, one of the things I want to do as we're having this conversation today is kind of dispel some of the fears that people have about artificial intelligence. And a very strict uh, way of talking, from what I've read and what I've seen heard, we don't actually have artificial intelligence. It's not a real thing, not yet. What we have is these large language models and things like that, which are just kind of gathering data and, and are able to do like one specific task. Um, and so, as a way of having this conversation, you know, at, <clears throat> As part of having this conversation, uh, I do want to take a moment just to kind of dispel some of the fears that we have. So there, there, are, there are three different basic levels of AI that are out there that, that, that people who do this for a living kind of talk in. The first level is what they call narrow AI, uh, which is what we have now. This mm-hmm. is what we have now, which is something that specializes in one particular area. Uh, this is like Alexa and Siri and ChatGPT. Uh, and they're basically just prediction machines. They, they're, they're specialized to do one specific task, and everything they do is based on the data that they have. So they're able to comb through data and pull together answers. They don't think. They don't reason. You can't really have a conversation with them. Uh, they don't have imagination or creativity or anything like that, and they're nowhere near as intelligent as a human being is. So you have, you have that, and then you have um, the next level, which is what's called general AI. This is what they're working on now, but we do not have. This is machine intelligence, uh, and it, it, it creates a, a, an AI or machine or computer program that is just as smart as a human being, that would have the ability to make decisions or have imagination and creativity, something you could actually have a conversation with. There are a lot of different movies and, and different ways in which this is kind of, we've seen this in, in science fiction and things like that. Um, but, say, you started this conversation saying this was to dispel fears, and now I'm afraid. <laughs> well, here's the thing. We don't have this. We don't have, but and they're I, working on I, it. I, and they're trying to, but here's the thing. I, I don't know that they'll ever actually achieve this mm. because there's something about human consciousness uh, and self-awareness that I, don't, that I think is almost supernatural. And this is where I, I, I'm generally a science guy, and, and I love science, and I think science and religion, science and my faith go mesh together very, very well. In fact, the more that I learn about science, the more that I see that happening. But there's something about human consciousness, which, by the way, is the most complex and mysterious thing in all of science, in all of the world. Like, nobody knows why we're conscious and how we're conscious. And, that, and when I, by consciousness, I mean 
that we're aware that we're aware. Because you can talk about animals being conscious and even even plants being conscious to some degree. There's levels of consciousness. But the idea that we know that we're conscious is a whole different level. Um, and I don't know that you can program that. I don't know that there's enough data that can be gathered together. So there's something like a spark of God that's happening there in my mind. And so I don't know that we'll ever actually get to that second level of general AI. I will say that from what I've read and seen, uh, if we do get there, we may not be aware that we've gotten there. Uh, and that's that's the scary part, right? Enter the matrix. But Exactly. So I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think we'll ever get there. But that again, that's the thing that most people are afraid of. Sure. Uh, that's the thing. But we're not there. And we're not even close to being there right now, as far as I can tell. Well, the first thing I thought of when you said that is the idea of the spirit, or the spirit of God, the breath of God, Ruach, right? That this is this thing. Did I say it right? Mm-hmm. Um, that god has given us that makes us what we are right right god breathes life into us and if you if you believe that then it's it's a bit of a leap to think that you know god could breathe life into a computer or that we as you know even as creators could breathe life into right? right it stops there so i do think there is a level of um, peace, I guess I, I, I feel sure. in that, just thinking about it in those terms. Exactly. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that AI isn't dangerous uh, without reaching that level. Even narrow AI is dangerous because there are creative and imaginative and sometimes corrupted beings that are behind AI that can do crazy things with it. And well, it's information, it's right? In, yeah. And we have you know as as the internet exploded and we have more access to more information, more people have more access to more information that's in itself is dangerous. So there's right. a sense in which it's just a progression, a natural yeah, progression. It's absolutely. not any more dangerous than what we already, you know, it's just yeah. maybe easier to access at this point. <laughs> right. right. The third level of AI um, is what they call super AI, which is now a machine or a computer program that can, uh, is actually smarter than humans and can move quicker than us. And this is, this is the real uh, dystopia kind right. of uh, nightmare where you have something like Skynet from the Terminator series, or you have something like the computers in the Matrix, or you have these, uh, you have a computer that, uh, or a program, an AI that is at odds with uh, humanity and is smarter and better than humanity. Uh, and even though we're the, we're the mommy and the daddy, uh, rebels against the parents, right? Or maybe wipes <laughs> the parents out. So uh, I don't know that we'll ever. I, obviously, if we can't reach the second level, I don't know if we'll reach the third level or not. Um, but in in that sense, I, the 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 definition of just to go back to what we've been talking about here, the definition of artificial means to be created uh, and not natural, something that's made by generally made by human hands, uh, and is not something that just naturally occurs in nature, which is kind of redundant to say naturally occurs in nature. Um, and in that sense. In the way that we've been talking about the breath of God and how God created us in in His image, um, I kind of think that human beings are the first artificial intelligence. We are something that is not just didn't just rise out of nature. Like I'm a firm believer in evolution, and I understand I can understand how God uses that process to bring us about. I understand that that's kind of evolution is like is a requirement of of free human beings like if we're truly going to be free to own our own story and make our own choices like evolution was a necessary component of that i absolutely believe that but the spark of intelligence that we've been given is something that didn't just evolve but rather was breathed into us maybe um i don't i don't really have the language to talk about it yet but there is something about there is something about our the beauty of who who we are as human beings that is not just part of a natural process. So you can kind of think about us as being artificial, and which the root of which is art. Like we are the art of God, uh, and I like that. That's just that just sounds nice. Interesting. Even if it's uh, just total nonsense. I'm gonna have to noodle on that one for a little bit. I'm not sure if I totally agree with you right off the bat there, but <laughs> we're the first Chat GPT. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, Adam and Eve were kind of you know basic models <laughs> we've we're the, we're the next version uh, i don't know if we're getting better or worse but <laughs> as i was writing my uh devotional and exploring that the passage we've been um talking about this week 
uh, Bill used, or Jeff, like when Jeff was preaching, he talked about faith like a child, right? And it's right. Uh, Matthew 19. And so I was reading the whole chapter. Um, well, you were looking at context? Oh, I'm learning. Uh, dangerous, I, For dangerous. those of you who don't know, Elizabeth is uh, in seminary now. Ooh. She's learning all kinds of important things about how to read the Bible, like look at the passage context. around the verse. Context. That's great. So that that part where people bring the children to Jesus um, and then, you know, the disciples rebuke them and Jesus says, let the little children come to me, whatever. It's like two lines. Yeah. Right. And then you get the stories on either side of it where Jesus is teaching totally different things. Right. right? And before it is this sticky and I'm sure highly controversial passage about divorce and eunuchs and um, all these things. But Jesus, as he's talking to the, I think it's the, the Pharisees, as he's talking to these uh, folks, he makes a reference he says well that's not how it was in the beginning right they say oh well you know here's the thing what do you think about this and he's like um you know he says one thing and then they're like oh well but moses said and he's like well that's not how it was in the beginning right. god created things this way in the beginning which right. i thought i'd never read that before i mean i'm sure i read it but it just that struck me as this kind of theme of restoration yeah. that jesus always brings back like all right yes we have this world it's very gray most of the times, you know, like gray areas, right? We right. like to, you know, we like black and white answers to things, but Jesus is like, you know, this is all, and he, end, he ends his little piece of advice there talking about, well, you know, if you can't accept this teaching, right, which I thought is another interesting, like gray area, right? right. Like, calm down, guys, if you can't accept it, uh, you know, it's okay. Um, right. It was just interesting, you know, like this, this restoration of going back to the beginning, this simplicity. Yeah. Um, how was it in the beginning? Let me think about when you're talking about Adam and Eve. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Nice little aside there. Yeah. Uh, just to, but I think that's important. Is even as we engage in, in conversations like um, uh, this one about artificial intelligence, uh, to keep it rooted in in remembering where it all started. So uh, you mentioned earlier that you got on ChatGPT this morning and had it create a table uh, of new things uh, and how people responded to new things in scripture, I assume. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, do you want to share some of those things? Yeah. So the, well, the Acts passage that we talked about earlier was in there and it starts off, starts off in Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then pretty new. God's response, right? God saw that it was good, right? It takes you through um, the Israelites seeing the Egyptian army approaching. They were terrified manna appears it's a new kind of food and the israelites gathered it and they recognized it as god's provision um in exodus god instructs moses to build the tabernacle moses and the people contribute willingly showing obedience and reverence move into samuel israel wants a king right and samuel warns them yeah about the consequences but they insist you got that wonderful isaiah passage which was the first one i thought of behold i am doing a new thing now it springs forth Famous. Mm-hmm. And Classic. then you <laughs> go into the, the Gospels. Uh, Jesus is teaching new about the new wineskins and the old wineskins and what that means. Um, ChatGPT's summarization of the response says that em this passage emphasizes the need for adaptability and a new way of thinking. Um, so, yeah. It, it's it all very helpful. It, it is. In a way of engaging, like, uh, the question... I mean, that's this is exactly the point that we've been talking about, the how ChatGPT can be used as a tool where you have a situation where you're trying to wrestle with how to deal with this new thing that's coming onto the world stage, uh, AI, uh, weak AI. Uh, and AI helps you to go back into Scripture and say, well, well how, does, how does the Bible deal with new things when new things show up and how does it respond? That's really cool. It is really neat. I also asked it um, to pretend it was a biblical scholar and uh, give a give a response. That's what I do like all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then to to use its knowledge of scripture to take a stance on AI and the appropriate human oh, wow. response to it, which is really fascinating. So it gave me a list of seven points. Of course, um, seven. Right? Wow, well done. Oh, there it you really go. I is a biblical scholar, that, right? <laughs> Um, it next starts level. off with stewardship of creation, um, ethics, justice, and fairness. And then it has like um, a couple sentences about each one of these points, 
with scripture references and um, kind of expounding on it. But then in the, at the end, I'm just going to read this to you because it's, it's a good little summary. It, it summarizes all of its points and it says, in summary, as a biblical scholar, so now remember, we've, we've talked about how AI doesn't have opinions of its own, right. but what I've done here is prompted it to give me an opinion based on right. you know, this general knowledge. Right. right? So as a biblical scholar, I would suggest that the appropriate human response to AI should be guided by ethical considerations, humility, and a commitment to using technology for the well-being of all. AI should be viewed as a tool, right? That's exactly yeah, what we're talking about, good. that can be harnessed for good while remaining aware of its potential challenges and pitfalls. Ultimately, our response to AI should align with the core values and teachings of love, justice, and stewardship found in Scripture. That's fantastic. Good job, little buddy. Well done. It's uh, pretty good for pretend biblical scholar. Yeah. Um, uh, so we'll we'll figure out a way to either tweet these things out, um, or I guess X them out, uh, because Twitter doesn't exist anymore. Now it's called X. We can put some of this, some of the stuff, the, the the resources here that we're talking about, the things that we've created, uh, the things, this table that you've created. We'll figure out a way to put it uh, on the website. Uh, com or on Twitter um, or X, whatever it's called now, whatever Elon decides to call it this week. Uh, the thing that you did this morning with this table is very helpful. Uh, it can mm-hmm. be very useful in Bible study. I can see how uh, somebody who's leading a Bible study or even doing personal Bible study could use ChatGPT as a way to guide uh, their, their, their teaching uh, and the information that they want to cover. What I did with ChatGPT, uh, much less helpful, but more entertaining, perhaps. So I asked ChatGPT to write a film noir short story uh, about Jesus. That's all I said. That was the entire prompt. I was not specific, didn't ask it to pretend to be anybody, didn't ask it to be Hitchcock or anything like that, although I, I, would, I wish I had. Oh, that would have been fantastic. So, uh, what, I to do, that. <laughs> what I want to do now is uh, actually read this little short story. It's just a few hundred words. Um, to, to you guys uh, and and let you guys hear this. It's called The Savior's Secret. So this entire thing is is generated by AI. Film by noir. Chad GPT. By Chad GPT. So this is a film noir short story about Jesus entitled The Savior's Secret. The rain poured relentlessly, turning the dimly lit streets of Jerusalem into a noir dreamscape. A man in a trench coat, his face obscured by shadows and his eyes reflecting the pain of the world, walked the cobblestone streets alone. They called him Jesus, and he was a savior, but not in the way most people believed. It was the year 33 AD, and the city was a breeding ground for sin and corruption. Behind the walls of grand temples, men in robes counted their ill-gotten gains, while the poor and destitute begged for mercy. Jesus had seen enough. He wasn't here to heal the sick or raise the dead. He was here to bring justice to a world that had lost its way. One evening, he entered a smoke-filled jazz club known as the Garden of Gethsemane. The place reeked of deceit and desperation. A sultry singer, Mary Magdalene, sang a mournful tune about lost souls and broken dreams. Jesus sat at the bar, ordered a glass of wine, and waited. He knew the man he sought would come. A few moments later, a shadowy figure, Judas, slid up next to him, a glint of treachery in his eyes. You got a lot of guts showing your face here, Jesus, Judas sneered. I've come to settle the score, Jesus replied calmly. The two men stepped outside into the rain-soaked alley. Lightning streaked across the sky, revealing the true nature of their confrontation. Jesus and Judas had been friends once, but betrayal had torn them apart. You think you can change this city, Jesus? You are a fool, Judas hissed. It's not the city I seek to change, but the hearts of men. Jesus said, his eyes burning with determination. Their voices rose and a tense standoff ensued. But before the situation could escalate, a gunshot echoed through the alley. (laughs) Judas fell to the ground, a smoking gun in the hand of Mary Magdalene. Sorry, Jesus, she whispered, tears mingling with raindrops on her face. But he would have killed you. As the sirens wailed in the distance, Jesus knelt beside Judas. He forgave him for his betrayal, a final act of love and mercy. Then he disappeared into the darkness of the night, leaving behind a city forever changed. In the days that followed, the rain washed away the sins of Jerusalem. 
and whispers of a savior who walked in the shadows spread through the streets. While the world would remember Jesus for his miracles and teachings, a select few would know the truth, a truth that lived in the heart of a noir city where justice was found in the most unlikely of places and redemption was a secret carried by those who walked in the rain. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> Fascinating. So, great, fun little story. Yes. What's your response to that? I think it is a fascinating way to talk about uh, creativity. Um, and I know, you know, we were just talking about like, what is, what does it mean to have that, you know, that spark of humanity? And I would say that creativity is something unique to humans, right? But then you read something like this. Right. And that opens up a whole other door. Now, again, um, just to dispel fear, right? We are talking about a language model again. Right. And so what this thing is doing is it is pulling a pattern, right? You yes. told it film noir. Yes. And so it is, you know, it has trillions and trillions and trillions of words and, in, you know, pages and books and blogs and everything at, at its disposal, right? So right. it it has taken this idea of a noir, film noir story, yeah. and it's, it's, you know, taken, you know, it has access to scripture, right? And so you can see how it has plugged things from scripture, yes. right? Characters and traits and things. It's plugged it into this film noir pattern, right? right? That's what it's done. Um, but then, you know, you, you can, you know, and again, it's, it's hilarious. It's fun. <laughs> it's, it's entertaining. It's all the things. The more you, you know, if you really listen closely to it, right? Mary Magdalene shoots Judas, right? right. I think this is not. This is not scriptural, right? You know, the Bible doesn't promote this kind of stuff, right? right? Um, There's not guns in the Bible. Right. <laughs> and so th this is another conversation that I think we can have around AI is what is it, what does it do to human creativity? Because, you know, we can say this thing doesn't have the spark of God in it, right? right? right. Um, but it is certainly producing what seems like creative material. It feels like that, right? It feels like that. On the surface, it does. But mm -hmm. this is clearly, um, it's clearly, like you said before, like it's, it's drawing from film noir. It's drawing from, you, you can see Orson Welles and you can see Humphrey yeah. Bogart in this, like doing that. You can see Humphrey Bogart playing Jesus, right? Uh, that'd be fantastic, by the way. And you got like uh, Ingrid Bergman playing Mary Magdalene. <laughs> this is great. This happens at, you know, Rick's, not at of the course, Garden yes. Academy. But yes. uh, you can definitely, you got a feel it's for. It's like a tropical themed <laughs> bar, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> um, but what it's able to do here is it, it takes the form of the film noir and it, it, it plugs in the names of the characters, Jesus and Judas and, and Mary Magdalene. And then it, it uses bits of the story that it knows, you know, that, that Judas betrayed Jesus, that Mary Magdalene was close with Jesus. And then it, it, it extrapolates all of this, some of the sentence structure, some of the way in which it's d designed and whatever, it, it's not, it's. It's not like the best short story that could be written about this. This is a fascinating idea. Yeah. And this kind of gets to some of the downside of AI, even the versions of AI that we have now, uh, this narrow AI, which um, while it's not thinking and reasoning, it can do a lot of work. And, it's, you know, I read that it's, it's threatening to take away like 300 million jobs across the world. Um, and right now, the Actors uh, Guild and the and the writers, not the well, actors, but the writers and directors guilds are both uh, striking because of AI. Their concern not being that AI can write a script because it can't really do that. It can't write like a script that can just be shot uh, the next day. Uh, but what it can do is generate ideas. It can generate a lot of ideas. And then you take those ideas and you hand them over to somebody who can write it or even have it write some of it. And then you have the a right, writer take po what you just it. had it do yeah. to you can take this and you can make mm -hmm. this into a movie, right? right. Uh, which would be an interesting film, but this is an idea. Uh, and really when you, when you talk about the, the work of writing, uh, particularly in film, but in work of writing across the board, even the writing that we do here at Northside, Creativity and imagination are really important, and the idea is just as important as the execution sometimes. And it's the, the ownership over it, right? Exactly. That's exactly. not only in our capitalistic world worth a lot of money, but it's also, you know, it's that human uh, ownership, pride yes. in this thing that is yours, this creation, Exactly, right? exactly. So if you have, you know, when we think about the great, if we think about the great um, writers in the world, uh, in history or in movies or whatever, like you think about some of my favorite writers, Aaron Sorkin, one of my favorite writers, um, or Wes Anderson, another guy that, that I think both of us like a great deal. Um, it's not just the execution of the script that's 
that that we are enamored of, right? It is it is the idea mm-hmm. behind what he has done or or what the writer has done. And if you can, and that's what they get paid for too, by the way, right? Most of what they get paid for is coming up with the concept, the idea of the thing. So if you if if you're Christopher Nolan and a computer comes up with Inception or Interstellar or Tenet, <laughs> right? Uh, Tenet. Uh, you're no longer Christopher Nolan. You're no longer Christopher Nolan, right? You're just a you're just a a, a monkey with a typewriter, yeah, to some degree, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, this is one of the threats that we have, like, and this can creep into the church world as well. This is not just something that in fact impacts writers, but it can impact many different disciplines, many different fields. Um, I, I, <laughs> there was a uh, an incident that happened. With ChatGPT and a, a, a law firm that used ChatGPT to come up with their law briefs for a case, and ChatGPT, while it does have access to a great deal of data, uh, is prone to just make stuff up sometimes. <laughs> and it had actually, in their defense, had submitted this document that was that was completely formulated by ChatGPT because they were trying to save time, and ChatGPT had just created some law precedent some law cases that never actually existed Oops. never actually were around because of the way that it was prompted right the way that because the, the prompt is everything right, right. The if question you don't exclude you it. so it it created right. an argument against this thing that they were doing but it used fake uh precedent to do it and they got in a lot of trouble uh, they got a, the judge was not happy about that because when they went to look up uh, some of these cases and couldn't find they're like we can't find any of this. Like you're just making this up. And then they had to confess that they used chat GPT and they're like the lawyer, the judge was like, you guys are going to get disbarred for this. I mean, like it's, it's bad, but in any case, so, well, that, that goes back to using it as a tool, right? Um, it has a certain level. And I think if you go back to the, the creativity conversation, there is a threat of this thing eliminating kind of this mid-level creativity, right? Because it right. can produce, you know, not excellence, right? But it can produce a lot of stuff. Um, and so you can see it as a almost a, a prompt or a, uh, an inspiration to do better. Right. Like as humans, we have to you have to amp up your creativity. Right. And maybe that's, you know, just being, you know, being more creative, more um, inventive to begin with. Or it's understanding that, you know, if you are stuck, something like chat GPT can maybe get you going. Right. right? But you at the end of the day have to use your own human reasoning, your own creativity to check it, to refine it, to, um, you know, push it all the way. Right. You can't just rely on it. Because that's the other that's the other problem. I think uh, when we think about the dangers of AI into the future, um, and this this is the danger with AI that we have even now. Um, I showed two different movie clips in our first class of AI and the Gospel on Wednesday night. Um, again, not too late to come join us if you guys are interested in this topic. But the two clips I showed were were the two dystopian futures that can happen with AI. The first one was a classic 2001 Space Odyssey where uh, Dave, the astronaut, is trying to get back on the ship. He's, he's out, outside the ship. They're in space. They're outside, I think it's Jupiter. Um, and he's trying to get back on the ship because he needs to unplug the computer of the ship, whose name is Hal. And Hal has become aware of itself, has become, uh, has become conscious, is now in, in a, a strong AI. And won't let Dave back onto the ship because he knows that Dave wants to unplug him. And so the first thing that happens, and this is what's true about uh, an AI that becomes aware of itself, the first thing that a conscious being or living thing wants to do is preserve itself at all costs. That is true of all living things, and particularly true of human beings, um, and antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we can talk about that some other time. <laughs> so uh, so that's the, that's the first dystopian future. That's Terminator, that's The Matrix, that's 2001 Space Odyssey. But the one that's more likely to happen is the other clip that I showed, which is from the movie Wall-E, where, oh, yes, where the world has been, has been made uninhabitable uh, from natural causes, I'm sure. Uh, and yeah, now, natural causes <laughs> of laziness. <laughs> and so the, all of humanity gets on board a ship and goes out into space, and they just float around for a while on space. It's like 700 years pass, and they have been fed. Uh, every, all of their needs have been met. 
everything is as they have they don't have to work or be creative or do anything and it just shows a world where they're all on screens all the time they're not looking at the world around them at all they're all overweight and they're all in these look hovering chairs and things like that everything is 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 taken care of because they rely completely on the computer system that is designed into the ship and that i think is more likely what's to happen we will become less and less human the more we rely on on uh, ai and things to do the actual work of creativity, imagination, or everything else that we do as human beings. That is a fantastic example, and I think goes right back to what we were talking about um, with the creator versus the created, right? And us as creatures that were created in the image are created in God's image and now are uh, creating things ourselves in our image. And so you can have a conversation about uh, idols, I think, right? So when the thing that we create then becomes an idol, something that replaces God, replaces our connection to God or overtakes our uh, worship of God, our centrality of God in our lives, that's when it becomes a problem, right? Because you have all these little, these human beings in Wally have put the technology at the center of their lives. And, you know, of course, again, like you're saying, I think that's exactly true. This is the more likely version because it happens slowly, right? We just rely on this thing more and more and more and it can do wonderful things for us and we just become lazy and this thing becomes an idol if we're not careful, right? And we lose our connection to nature. We lose our connection to the things that God created, the good creation that God has made for us. So that, that, leads me to think this then and I hadn't thought this way before I'm glad I'm glad that you said all that you're exactly right uh that the technology becomes the idol it takes the place of God takes the place of worship takes the place of humanity in some ways and that's the thing uh the more the closer we get to worshiping idols and the further we move away from God the more dehumanizing we become uh and that's true across the board regardless of what the idol may be but the more we worship idols and not god the less human we become the less the image of god we become and that's really amen that is that's one of the first lessons we learn in scripture it's in genesis chapter 1 we were created humankind both male and female created in god's image and what that image is is the exploration of, of our lives, right? That is that's what we're trying to figure out. It is Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is resurrection. It's all the things that we love. But when we move in a direction that is away from God, we become as we, as our image gets distorted and corrupted. As that image gets distorted and corrupted, we only we not only have abandoned our Creator. But we've abandoned our design and who we are as human beings. When we do the work then of of creating something in our image, which is what AI can be said to be, right? We're trying to create something that is intelligent like we are. But you're doing that outside of the framework of your own your own design. That's when we get in trouble. That's when it becomes an idol, like you're talking about. Yeah. But it also becomes demonic. It becomes something dangerous. It becomes something. If you were to be able to release, if, you, if, if we were actually able to create and release an artificial intelligence that was aware of itself in the way that we are, is intelligent and like we are, was even creative like we are, but didn't have the stamp of the image of God on it, you've created, you've created a demon, you've created the Antichrist. Uh, not to get all apocalyptic or whatever, that's a scary thing. Something mm-hmm. that one of the one of the people in our class mentioned um, uh, last Wednesday night, Nikita. She mentioned like what what terrifies her is is this kind of self aware intelligence that doesn't have emotion, doesn't have emotion, doesn't have the ability to feel or have empathy, and that that is not only the antichrist. That's just anti human. Yeah. And uh, value of human life. Right? What does it mean to value human life and to value the world that God created in the way that Jesus has taught us to value it? And like you were just saying a second ago, it's just another step removed from the world that we were created to live in, that we're designed to live in, nature, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's another step removed, and this, is what, this, is, this gets back to some of the themes that we talked about last Advent and uh, Lent, where we're designed to live in gardens, not in cities necessarily, and we kind of we kind of move away from every step we take away from our design is another step away from the image. 
of God that we were created in. And, and in that sense, the, the, all these fears that we're talking about in relation to AI, which I think these are real fears, um, or things to be aware of and mindful of. They're things that um, are credible, um, credible threats in our world now. Like we don't have to wait for AI to right. get to this next level. Like this is a real thing that as Christians in this world with AI yeah. or without it need to be aware of yes. um, and responsive to and stay I don't know if control is the right word, but to stay mindful of. Absolutely. Right. I think um, as AI becomes more and more prominent, and especially as things like the economic uh, impact of AI, I'm thinking again of the fact that 300 million jobs are at stake. Uh, you know, how long it's going to take for that to happen? I don't know. I'm, I don't know all the details. But as we see, as we see the economics of, of AI take impact, people may be losing their jobs and people in need. Um, you know, economic economic realities or where the church, you know, that's what Jesus talked about economic realities as much as he talked about almost anything else. So being present in those spaces, not only to, to make, ensure that justice is happening, that think people are being treated fairly and correctly and that something isn't replacing, you know, human beings, Yeah. but also to be there to support and care for those who have been pushed to the margins maybe because of artificial intelligence. That, yes. So something that one of the folks on this Freakonomics podcast talked about was no matter how afraid you may be or what concerns you may have of something like AI, the more people we have involved in the conversation, the better it's going to be, right? And the more tailored it's going to be. So, and exactly to what you were talking about, right? Like, so we can talk about a world where AI eliminates a bunch of jobs, right? And Mm -hmm. there's machines doing things, but this is the case with any new technology, right? It, um, it eliminates some jobs, but it creates other new jobs. So, you know, as Christians, you know, if we're, we're responsible for taking care of people, right? What does it mean to, um, promote and embrace and push towards a world where something like AI can help folks that move through this world with disabilities, right? How does it create a job for someone that, you know, it can help them do something that they wouldn't have been able to do without this AI, right? And how do we put that in the forefront of the conversation? Yeah. Instead, right? Absolutely. Talking about this world of restoration and justice and peace and And I think like anything else, um, kind of as a final note as we wrap up today, I think like anything else that uh we come in contact with in the world, I think embracing it with a sense of hope and a sense of, a, a true sense of, of justice and truth, but a sense of hope rather than cynicism, I think is probably yeah. um the way to go. I, I it it is a fascinating time to be alive. <laughs> I'm sure every generation has said that. And and we are on the cusp of the horizon of maybe something new and transformative in our in our world. But regardless of what happens with AI or anything else for that matter, Jesus is there. God is present. And we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to engage it and 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 to thrive. To thrive as human beings. Where are the hands and feet of God? Amen. Elizabeth, thank you so much for a conversation today. Great talk. Pleasure. For those of you who are interested, we are having a class on Wednesday nights at 6.30 called AI and the Gospel. We get deeper into some of these subjects and some of these topics. We meet in the loft. loft. That's right. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next week. Peace.